0: Uh, Jameson, do you prefer Jame or Jamus or Jamison? <laughs> Just call me. I, Jam. Well, it's I, in the
1: middle,
2: I, my name.
3: I prefer to call uh, him Misson. Like, what's <laughs> up, Misson? <Sun? laughs> <laughs>
4: This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS in-depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., bid on javascript developers providing them with salary and equity up front the average javascript developer gets an average of five to fifteen introductory offers and an average salary of one hundred thirty thousand dollars a year users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations it's totally free for users and when you're hired they give you a two thousand dollar bonus as a thank you for using them but if you use the javascript jabber link you'll get a four thousand dollar bonus instead Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash javascriptjammer. This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support and high performance all backed by the largest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at javascriptjabber.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at javascriptjabber.com slash Rackspace. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 143 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames.
5: Hey, everybody. Dave Smith. Ahoy, hoy. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming
3: at you live from the snow globe sphere of Provo.
4: Jameson Dance. Hi, friends. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, Pamela Fox. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick?
1: Yeah, uh, so I'm Pamela Fox, and I work at Khan Academy, where I create the computing curriculum, the computer programming, computer science, and also engineer the platform that delivers it along with a, a team of a few more engineers. And I really like teaching programming, and I also teach it on the side because I can't get enough of it. So I do that for the Girl Develop it San Francisco chapter, and that's teaching web development.
2: Very cool. You've been involved in education for a while, though, weren't you at Coursera before?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I started my entire career, I guess, at Google in developer relations, which I think of also as being education. And that was on Google Maps API and Google Wave API and showing developers how to use those. And eventually I realized that education was really the thing I liked. So I went to Coursera and was a front-end engineer there. And that was fun, but I got kind of jealous of all the Coursera professors who got to teach because I wanted to teach. So um, (laughs) since I don't have a PhD, because I never quite had the patience to get that, I discovered that Khan Academy would be a place where I could both uh, teach and code, which is perfect.
5: So we have yet another Google wave.
1: (laughs) 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 Two in a row. (laughs) Who did you have last
0: time? Joseph Gentle.
1: Oh yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, interning uh, when I was on the wave team. He's great. Very cool.
4: Yeah, we liked him too.
0: Yeah.
5: So, uh, Khan Academy is a very cool company. What's it like working there?
1: It's. I mean, it's great because everybody's just really into what we're doing, and just everybody legitimately. Loves learning and and teaching and all that stuff, and it's a lot of fun as well. Um, I guess I was a bit worried when I joined it that since Khan Academy's primary audience is kids, that it would mean that we wouldn't ever talk about anything adult. <laughs> but it turns <laughs> out that that's not the case. We are able to have adult conversations at lunch. So that clues,
5: clues playing on all the TV. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have recess
0: and nap time.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I wish we had recess. (laughs) Is
0: Khan Academy for kids?
1: Well, its primary audience right now is centered in middle. Like Our our dominant age group is middle school. Now, that doesn't mean like, so when I am creating curriculum, I think to myself like, okay, the most likely users of this are 12-year-olds, but I may also have a bunch of adults using it because I do use it when I'm teaching adults. So, ideally, we teach things in a way such that all ages like it. But there are people who look at Khan Academy and say, like, oh, it's only for kids because we have cute avatars and whimsy and stuff like that. But I just think that they've forgotten the part of themselves that likes cute avatars, right? Yeah. who wouldn't <laughs> like that stuff? So, I don't know. It could be that, you know, I'm actually a 12-year-old um, at heart, which has been rumored. But I think that uh, everybody... <laughs> a 12 year old at heart
0: so i totally agree (laughs) and if if you're not it just means you have to get in touch with your 12 year old again
1: (laughs) yeah i think we kind of optimize for people who want either have a 12 year old in their heart or want to get in touch with that that's our target audience
4: that reminds me of dealing with my extended family if i want anything to get done i have to treat them like five-year-olds
0: oh (laughs) do you give them avatars chuck
4: I don't know about avatars. Sometimes they threaten them with timeout.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, well, so badges and avatars are surprisingly motivating. Like I, I was a little hesitant about the whole badging, gamification, that sort of thing, because we did some experiments with it at Coursera. But I was, I was very hesitant about it because you know, as soon as you introduce badges, then you're introducing extrinsic motivation and all that stuff. But they are still doing a lot of learning on the way. So. It's a careful balance with the badges and the avatars and making sure that you're awarding the right things. And so we're constantly tweaking the things that you get awarded for to try and make sure it's a, it's around good pedagogical gains. So I have
2: a question around education in Khan Academy. You kind of alluded to this when you said your team is all really excited about learning, but are there things that you do as a company to kind of dog food the idea that everyone should be constantly learning? Like how do you encourage... And yeah, how, do you, how do you encourage developers to learn while they're on the job, basically? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we like to dog food our own stuff. So we have, uh, we call them dog foods like once a week. So anytime there's a new product, we'll have a dog food of it. Um, we'll gather around the lunch table or we'll do a virtual dog food. So most people will try other people's things before they come out. Uh, and that's a great way of getting feedback. Um, but that's more about the product experience for the actual like, dog fooding the content side of the product. Uh, like we did recently create new missions, I think, around algebra and calculus. So Sal sent out an email to everybody, I think, before Christmas <laughs> challenging us to do the algebra and uh, calculus missions, reporting any feedback along the way. Um, and then so I know Sal went home and did it. And then Sal went home and did it with his kids. But a lot of people also have kids that they're doing it with. So I think we all like actually use Khan Academy. Right now I'm using Khan Academy to learn basic life skills like what are taxes which maybe I should have learned earlier in life but <laughs> I'm really happy uh yeah like I bought a house last year with my brother and I watched the mortgage video last week and now I know what that mortgage cool. is that we got so that's great so yeah I mean the cool thing about Khan Academy is there's is a ton of stuff on there so we may not all be learning the same stuff but there's just generally an
0: attitude of learning uh, is the tax curriculum really popular among the 12-year-old audience? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I, mean, I, would, like, I always read, every time I watch a video, I always read the questions and answers because I find that the you know kind of most interesting thing to see if other people had the same questions and answers than me. And I just watched the interest video and there's some a lot of people saying uh, they didn't know what logarithms were yet. So presumably, those might be middle schoolers because you know, they don't know what logarithms are yet. Uh, so, I think that I mean the, yeah, the, the
5: middle, middle schoolers, schoolers they'll just go. <laughs> <laughs> we all know what logarithms are here, of course, we just want to hear what you think they are to know <laughs> make sure that you know what they are
1: I mean that, that's yeah, there's um I mean, that's a good thing. one thing you'll like I'm starting to realize is how much basic math is involved with little parts of life. And I guess I start to realize it it more like geometry and sewing and trigonometry and, in painting the walls and figuring out which paint to get and stuff. So I don't, I think the middle schoolers will just wander. They'll just wander all over Khan Academy, even if, you know, they're not at the right level for it. They don't care and that's fine. Right. As long as they don't get discouraged, then.
5: How many middle schoolers have watched the thing on
0: mortgage backed securities?
1: <laughs> I will. I will do a big query after and let you know.
0: So, can you tell us a little bit about the technology that you use to build the computing curricula at Khan Academy?
1: Uh, so, John Resig built it originally. You may know him as having invented jQuery, but he also kind of invented our programming environment. And it is built just using the Ace editor. Which is one of the you know those coding editors, and a lot of people use CodeMirror as well. But Ace actually does have better support for mobile. So we use the Ace editor, we load the Processing.js library in, and then output onto the canvas. Now, in between that, there's actually a lot of work to process the JavaScript before we output it, because we want to. Well, first thing we got to do is check for infinite loops. Because if you introduce an infinite loop in your code and you evaluate in the browser, the browser is going to freeze. And middle schoolers do love when they successfully crash Chrome. And I've seen them beg their teacher for a cookie when they did that. Uh, But (laughs) don't want everyone's programs crashing. So we have to do an infinite loop detection, which involves sending off to a web worker, having the web worker attempt to run the code, seeing how long it takes, having it you know checking for a timeout, and then saying, oops, it took too long. So that checks for infinite loop as well as just really slow running code. So there's that. And then we also check for errors. So we send the code through JS hint, which hopefully all JavaScript developers know because it's a great way to check your JavaScript for errors and best practices. And then we also send. Amen. It- <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everybody should just have that installed in whatever plugin, uh, whatever environment they're using, like Sublime Linter. And then we send it through Baby Hint, which is something we made up, which checks for spelling errors because a lot of people don't. <laughs> don't know how to spell ellipse, and you should still be able to learn how to program even if you can't spell ellipse. So we sent it through that as well. And that's more web workers. So a lot of web workers in the middle, but finally, it'll get output to the canvas. So that's the whole front end of it. And the back end is done with Google App Engine, Python, Big Table, which is the stack that's used across Khan Academy.
0: So you're saying the browser itself does not actually execute the students' programs?
1: The first thing to execute the student's program is a web worker, which has processing.js stubbed out because web workers cannot access a DOM. So we stub it out, we run it in the web worker, see if it'll run successfully, and then we will send it to the browser. So eventually the browser does execute it, but it's the first thing that executes it.
0: Okay, so you're just checking for common problems before you let the browser run it?
1: Yes, yes.
0: That's really cool. cool. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. Very clever.
2: (laughs) So I have a question about just kind of teaching programming in general. The tech side is fascinating, but I'm also interested in kind of the human side. And where do you find beginners get stuck mostly in programming? Are there Uh, common errors you identify? And then do you do things to kind of smooth those out for them?
1: So we found that beginners get I mean, they get stuck a lot on syntax errors. So in the, so the way we teach is we have a talk through, which is me coding and talking and we record the audio file and then we play back the audio file sync to a live playback of the typing commands that I typed. So it's like a video, but you can actually pause it and edit the code at any point. So it's a little more interactive than a video. So we have a talk-through, and then we have a challenge, and a challenge is where there's like three steps, and each step says, okay, try to draw a rectangle and here's some hint code for you. And then you you try to do the step and then we analyze your code using static analysis and give you some messages to try and get you to the solution because the the goal isn't just to assess you, it's also to help you understand where you got wrong and to try and get you to the end of the challenge. Uh, And then finally we have projects which are more free form and get peer evaluated. Uh, So like the very first challenge, they just draw an H using rectangles, so three rectangles, and that is where you find a lot of very interesting syntax errors. And so we do send the code through JS Hint. But you know, JavaScript is a crazy language, and an error is so hard. Like you see a particular bit of JavaScript, it's really hard without context to know why they made that error. Like, why is there a semicolon instead of a comma? Right? So I actually, for that first challenge, also have a set of regular expression based syntax checks and wow. output those because there is no way we can't get to good enough error messages just with js hint because js hint does not know the context so it has to give the error that is the most generic about the parsing problem it saw but for that but i can give a more specific error like oh you put a colon there you meant a semicolon actually right make sure you pay attention to the difference there so there's definitely a ton of syntax errors that happen on that first challenge because it's their first introduction to syntax and the fact that syntax matters and the fact that a semicolon is different from a colon and that little difference will break your entire program. And that's kind of a significant. And then later on, conceptually, the hard parts, I mean, you can probably guess, but hard parts are variables, loops, and object-oriented programming. Those are probably the, the three hardest part of the curriculum for people.
5: So are you familiar with like a lot of what other companies or organizations are doing to solve the same problem? And what do you like about their approaches? What have you guys tried to do differently that maybe solves problems with people getting lost or caught up differently or better?
1: Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, different companies in the teaching programming space. A lot of them for younger people are teaching using drag and drop blocks. Uh, So like Scratch, Snap, Code.org, using Blockly. And the advantage there is that you can't make a syntax error. You could make a runtime or a logical error, but you can't make a syntax error. So that can be really, really good for people because it it lowers the intimidation factor. So we have started experimenting with drag-and-drop JavaScript. And it's kind of our take on the whole block-based drag-and-drop coding because most of those block-based environments are more higher level and they they kind of look like code, but they don't quite look like code. Whereas our drag-and-drop environment looks exactly like JavaScript, but with some borders around it that you can drag around. And that's nice because people can do it on an iPad. They can do it if they don't feel comfortable typing yet. And they seem to really like it when we had it for Hour of Code in December. So we're going to keep experimenting with that. But the other thing that people do is that they do... Use more higher level environments. So we're using Processing JS and Processing JS. If you haven't used it, it's like the Canvas API. So you, it's pretty low level stuff. Like you draw rectangles, draws ellipses, um, you build those up. You can respond to mouse events. But if you want to make a game, you got to figure out how to turn rectangles moving on a screen into a side scroller. So that's that's kind of a, a lot, right? You're not going to be able to do that until you've learned quite a lot of programming. Uh, so what other environments do is that the actual, like, language and environment is, is more higher level. And so if you want to make Angry Birds, a side scroller, whatever, it's actually a lot less code to get to that point. Uh, or they'll provide a lot of libraries that will make it a lot less coded at that point. And that gets people to the, yay, I get it point faster. Right. So I think that there's, there's a lot of good to that approach as well. Cause I know, like, code.org, in their hour of code, they were able to teach loops and For me to get to loops in an hour of JavaScript, I mean, I guess there's a way I could get to it, but I would feel like I I wouldn't be able to properly cover everything else getting to loops. Like by the time we got to loops within an hour of teaching JavaScript, they wouldn't have a deep enough understanding of the other stuff. But with more higher level environments, with the drag and drop, you can actually get to loops really quickly so you can get to more fundamental ideas. So I think it's two different approaches and we're... We are exp- starting to experiment more with the um, more higher level stuff and earlier ages and no typing and that stuff and, and trying to uh, look at what they've done.
5: So, I don't know how much of the different Code.org things that you've seen, but um, I don't have you seen the uh, Code Combat yes. piece that they talk about? So, Code uh, Combat, yeah, yeah. I did like a five or six different hour of Code events that week,
1: mm-hmm.
5: and I used a lot of Code Combat. That seemed to be, you know, I offered them kids uh, Frozen or Code Combat, and everybody wanted to do Code Combat, and not Frozen.
1: <laughs> Interesting. So Code Combat, the idea is using JavaScript commands to move this, like, ogre around the screen and, and fight. And then the frozen code.org is using, so Blockly. Yeah, using Blockly, which generates JavaScript behind the scenes, to... I was, like, drawing a snowflake, which was actually, I thought, really cool. And, uh, you know, because, it's like, you have to draw the different arms of the snowflake and add some details. And, yeah, so I think, but I I don't... So when I see Code Combat, I have to admit, I don't like playing games. I find it kind of really boring. Uh, So I don't really... I'm not personally attracted to things like Code Combat, especially because there's no way for me to express myself in it. So I like to make sure that in any sort of programming environment that there is the ability to express yourself, right? So if in Code Combat I got to program a victory dance and have a different costume, on, I would like that. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, I generally like to make sure that there's some creativity and some expression in what we do because that is a big part of programming, uh, at least for me and, I, you know, for many people, I think it'd be a big attraction is the, the creativity and the self-expression. So... That's, I, that's what I would want to have a bit more of in code combat. I know that it is attractive to quite a few people, but I'm not sure if it's attractive to everyone. On the other right. hand, our stuff might also not be attractive to everyone because maybe we're too far on the creativity spectrum, not enough in the more, uh, you know, logical or fighting or all all those sort of things, right? So ideally, like, so we just talked to the Scratch team this morning. So hopefully, you know, Scratch is really cool. It's from MIT, and it's very much about creative and expression, and you can make games and animations and stories and all that stuff. And their actually main focus is on creativity and expression and not as much computer science concepts. But they were talking about widening the walls, which means increasing the possible number of ways that or reasons that you get interested in programming, right? right? So, you know, currently they've got dancing and animation and stories, and now they've got a grant so that you can use programming to create hip-hop dance routines. And that might appeal to this whole other person, right? So that's the thing about programming. There's so many things we can do with it, right? Program music and program with data. So I think that would be our goal to see, like, okay, are, are there particular audiences that we're missing out on because we haven't widened the walls and we're not appealing to their interests? Right. And how can we do that?
5: It's interesting to me what you said about uh, creativity because, Well, I completely agree with it, right? Like, what's fun about programming is be able to create something you want. And when, like you said, when playing Code Combat, which is just a game and you just use statements to get through it, there's not really any creativity. You have a very prescriptive thing that you have to solve, right? But on the other hand, one of the things that I noticed was, although it had some rough spots to it, that Code Combat got to looping within, like, 15 minutes with Mm -hmm. a kid who's reasonably capable and understanding. Now, I would say that was by far the biggest place where kids got stuck was understanding what they were trying to do. And I, I didn't feel like it was so much the fact that they couldn't figure it out, but the code combat just needed to do a little bit more like AB testing and figuring out what kinds of words would help the kids understand that, Hey, you're looking for a repeating pattern try to solve the repeating pattern. Right? So for the very beginners, the expressivity didn't seem to be such a big deal. Like, when they're doing Frozen, they can make those snowflakes. That's very cool. When I went and did the Frozen, I was screwing around with it while some kids were doing it at a corporation. And I ended up writing the initials of the corporation using the girls on their ice skates because I thought that would be really fun. And I was basically expressing myself in the programming. But the kids mm-hmm. that were learning, they weren't doing that. They were just trying to get through the level and get to the next place. So for education, do you feel like that's still – like at what point do they need to have that creativity, that opportunity to be creative because it seemed like right at the beginning, the kids were very engaged for that first hour without any much opportunity to be creative.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think you can make things engaging and they don't. Because I did the frozen code.org as well. And I was also having fun with it, just getting to the next step. So you mm-hmm. can you can be engaging and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be creative. But I guess the question is when you come out of that experience and somebody asks you what is programming, and what are they going to respond right so they they might respond that it's a way of solving problems right and that's right. the that's the way it's primarily presented there i want students to come away thinking it's a way of solving problems but also a way of creating right just because that's i guess a particular a passion of mine is the creation aspect of it so i ideally we you do both and i don't know how the graders are done on code.org but we do our graders on Khan Academy so that there is a rough idea of a right answer, but there's also a lot of flexibility in it, right? So, like, the one where they have to color their ice cream cone, they can color their ice cream cone any color as long as they've gotten across the idea of how the coloring commands work and they understand the order of the commands matter.
5: Right. Yeah, so I had my 10-year-old son go through code combat, and without the expressivity, he went through for, like, 45 minutes. And then he just got very bored. He wanted to go back and play Minecraft where he could be mm. creative.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: You know? So for him, it wasn't engaging for very long.
1: Yeah. People are very – yeah, the kids are really into Minecraft. Some of them have reprogrammed it on Khan Academy, actually. Oh, yeah. I see that <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't – I I actually – I try to use Minecraft because I'm like, oh, well, the kids are into this. I should get into this. But uh, I I actually – couldn't figure out how it worked but anyway that's embarrassing so um yeah i don't really have solid statistics i can give about you know at what point you need creativity but i know that i think uh, just personally and like on the team we want that to be one of the things that you come away with thinking that programming can be right and just generally like like kids need more creativity in their lives right because especially like Khan Academy like math our math exercises, they're just, you know, maybe there's a way in which they could be created, but right now they're like, you know, multiple choice, enter a number. And, you know, it can be really satisfying to answer them, but there is no creation there. So, you know, trying to bring more creation into the learning process, starting in computer programming, but, you know, maybe they'll go out to other aspects of Khan Academy.
5: So it was, we just had Jen Schiffer on the show a little while ago talking about staying interested in programming through art. And that oh, yeah, was very... Yeah. That was very interesting. That was a very interesting conversation. But still along the same lines, like, at a certain point, if all you're doing is solving a rote problem and learning programming that way, you know, it's just like, if history is memorizing dates, then it gets boring really quick.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that everything is more fun to learn when you have an actual application for this. And I've started just noticing this more just in everyday life now, right? So actually being motivated to remember trigonometry because we're trying to you know, decorate a room and cut out a sewing pattern and stuff like that. So it it feels like generally we should be teaching more things via practical applications of it. Like Mm -hmm. why, why do we do chemistry and all this stuff separate? You know, why isn't that we have cooking class and that's actually how we learn a lot of these chemistry principles.
5: Seriously. Like (laughs) I totally agree with that. In fact, AJ was recently answering some question on some online forum where somebody was asking about getting started in programming and I'm paraphrasing AJ, maybe he'll remember exactly what he said, but he says that the fact of figure out a problem you want to solve and then start there.
1: Yeah. And so you can think of it as a problem you want to solve, or I think of it as like a thing you want to create, which is right. It's kind of the the same thing, just like in terms of what you imagine in your head. And then that will motivate you. And that's like what I constantly tell the, the adults that I teach how to program because, you know, we do these workshops and they do exercises But then I'm always telling them, like, you have to keep practicing. You have to practice so much. You have to program for just hours and hours. You know, it's a a skill that takes a lot of practice. But you shouldn't be doing these silly things that I come up with because those are the things that I came up with. You should find something that you are really into, and then that will motivate you to actually get through the hard parts because part of it will be hard. You know, programming is not easy. It can get hard. And if you're working on something that you're not into – You're not going to be motivated to get through those hard parts unless somebody's paying you or bribing you with a stick or something like that. But it's way better if you want to get through it because you're really excited about what the end result is going to be.
4: Mm -hmm. I'm going to put my foot in the door here. Dave had a question you wanted to ask.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, I've come across people who seem to think that you are either born with the ability to program or you're not. What has your experience teaching programming to other people taught you about this particular idea?
1: That's a very interesting question. So what I've seen on the adult level is that the thing that can have a big effect, or even at the high school, middle school level, is the ability to tinker and experiment and being okay with trying things. Like, you can't be timid around the computer, right? So I think that just being adventurous around a computer right so i think feeling comfortable with things on a computer that aren't programming is good preparation for learning to program like you should be using keyboard shortcuts and google docs and playing around with spreadsheets and all this stuff right and you should feel pretty comfortable typing if you're gonna because if you i see some some people who are typing and they're typing very daintily and gently and it's like no you just gotta oh just slam it I anyway, like I just, I want, I don't want, when I see that, that timidness, it usually doesn't coincide well with their, with how much they progress in terms of the programming um, because you just need to be. Yeah. So I, so I think that's like an attitude thing. And it, what I've seen is that it seems to get, as you get older, we seem to get more timid. So sometimes it can be harder to teach older people. I mean, I've seen, we did a workshop with middle school and high school students and the high school students were just much more timid and unwilling to experiment and seemed almost kind of uninterested or not as curious, right? And the middle really? school students are very curious. Yeah, and I think high school students get tired and they've got all these concerns and everything in life, right? So, I don't know. I So, this is also the thing, you know, I don't have the, you know, stats on. But, uh, so I think that's why it's good just to, if you want to get your kids programming Just get them used to tinkering with, you know, any sort of computer app. Like I didn't start as a kid programming, but I started when my earliest memory is like five years old, was playing with a painting program. And I used so many painting programs growing up. I loved painting programs and drawing programs and all that stuff. And so I got used to, you know, treating software as this thing that I can be curious about and experiment with and all that stuff. And and then programming just became another thing to be curious about and experiment with.
2: Did you ever use KidPix?
1: Oh, my God. Kid Pix is oh, amazing. The, I love that. Oh, I love too. Kid Pix. Yeah. So the paintbrushes that have sound effects, I just remember yeah. yes. we We just released sound effects on Khan Academy, and I meant to, like, make a mini Kid Pix. Make Kid Picks. Oh, it'd
4: be
2: so yeah, bad. because I, I have oh, a,
1: water, a water bubble sound, and you can do a little water bubble. Yeah, Kid Pix was amazing. So, yeah, like, you know, you don't have to keep have your kid programming at five. Just have them playing with things, right? And be willing to play. So I don't know about being born with the ability to program. Um, I am reading an entire textbook right now called Sex Differences in Cognitive Abilities. Uh, and it's gonna, it's just an overview of every single study about cognitive abilities and sex differences because there's a lot of people that would claim that uh, maybe men are born with the ability to program more than women. So uh, I'm only like 10% of the way through that textbook right now. But You're reading be- this? Studies. Yeah, I well, I rented it. It's textbooks are expensive, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rented, i rented from Amazon. I'm highlighting basically every other sentence and hoping that that basically means I get to keep the whole textbooks.
5: <laughs> wow, that's of particular interest to me um, as my daughter is getting into programming now. So that's really interesting to me about gender differences and how to prepare her for what's it, what it's going to be like as she moves into one a male dominated field and two. You know, encourage her. Like when she first got into it, I thought maybe she'd just want to go into sort of the web design type stuff because that's what she was doing and she really liked it. But then mm-hmm. she kept insisting, "No, Dad, I want to code. I want to write code." And- yeah.
1: So, I mean, what I have seen on Khan Academy is that we do still have an, uh, more males than females that start our curriculum, but the females are equally successful at completing it as the males. So it seems to be just a a problem of starting. So we're working on various initiatives to get just more females starting the curriculum. And the other thing that I like to point out is I just think, I think that software is a huge field and there's so many parts that can appeal to different people. Uh, So there's, you know, there's human computer interaction to appeal to people that really like thinking about the people side of it. There's architecture. Like if you're the kind of person that, you know, likes thinking about how to, organize your kitchen and have it perfectly clean, then you might be really good software architect, right? So there's just so many aspects of software now that I feel like we're at the point where, you know, even if there are cognitive differences, like, you know, maybe females and males differ in their, um, their spatial or their social or anything like that. But there's like a, a part of software that's better for people in, in each of those with each of those skills.
3: So I've had an experience where I thought that cars were complicated and unapproachable, right? When I was younger in my teens Mm. and then I got out to college and I had to fix a car on my own. Mm. And so I realized that the car was simply made of screws and nuts and bolts and metal. And so like, as I got under the hood and I started playing around with it and realized like, Oh, this isn't magic. This is like programming. This is a bunch of simple components that are all put together in a system that works. Mm -hmm. Then I was able to have the confidence to then move forward with that. And it seems to me that a lot of people lack the confidence. Like you're saying, like they're timid with the keyboard. Like it doesn't seem to be uh, like a necessarily a, like a creativity blocker or something like that, that. That's the problem, but more people don't feel confident using something or taking apart something or building something they don't understand. Like maybe it's the aspect of failure. Like, Oh, if I, mm-hmm. if I program it wrong and my program doesn't run, then maybe it's the, the time cost fallacy or something. Uh, you know, I, it wasn't worth my time cause it didn't work or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that, I mean, that's something that Khan Academy generally thinks about a lot. And we did launch this whole campaign earlier this year called the, you can learn anything campaign. And it's about growth mindset, which is something that's being researched at Stanford actively and, and other universities. But, you know, it's, it's just the idea that, um, actually that intelligence is not fixed and your brain is a muscle. The more you use it and struggle, the more it grows. And the research actually shows if you tell people about the idea of growth mindset, just telling people about that idea will make them better learners so we've actually done what we call growth mindset interventions we've done this in the math area where we just put these little sayings at the top of the math skills like oh your brain is like a muscle the more you use it the more it grows and just actually having those phrases improves how well they do on the math problems it improves like how much more learning they do uh so it's it's definitely it's yeah it's a lot of attitude and I haven't done any growth mindset interventions on programming in particular I, I think it would be cool it is it is something we try to bring just generally to the curriculum like reminding people like okay this is hard and you will struggle but that's okay you know you just you just have to keep going with it but it's interesting because I think after that you can learn anything campaign, Cause we all kind of internalize that at Khan Academy. And so I think that's part of why I've started trying to, I've I finally started trying to learn things that I've been kind of afraid of learning for my whole life. So like taxes, Minecraft is more. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, I should put Minecraft back on the list. I should, I'm just going to go to a Coder Dojo workshop and do it with the middle schoolers. Cause they're obviously experts and that. That's the other thing, like being okay with learning, from, like, teachers should learn from students, students should learn from teachers, like, not having such a binary, Um because everybody's learning something at some point, right?
4: So, one thing that I wanted to get into, you know, harking back to adults and kids, the kids tend to really, I think, and, and just watching my son, you know, the creative stuff, just, you know, he he gets into it. But with adults, you know, a lot of times we forget how to play. So, Or, you know, we get into play and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to make the ice cream cone blue, but, you know, what's kind of the point, right? Where, you know, maybe some of the other exercises, the math or, you know, actually building something that you can use to organize your kitchen was an example you put up. Do you find that adults tend to like different exercises than the kids or do they really dig the the creative stuff like the kids?
1: mm, that's a good question. I haven't done sometimes we look at the popularity of the projects by gender. I have not broken down them down by age. One problem right now is that I just I don't have enough people who have both reported their age and are old enough to have great stats there, but it would be a really interesting thing to look at so Yeah, I don't know. But I know, like, I I use this curriculum for in-person workshops for adult women in San Francisco, and the projects they make are just, they're amazing. They're so good. So I don't have stats on that. But I've been very impressed by seeing projects from middle schoolers, from high schoolers, from adults, and maybe people just need the license to think that it's okay for them to play around and be creative, we do have kind of more practical stuff now like because now we're teaching HTML, CSS. So it'll be interesting to see what the age breakdown is like for people who decide to learn HTML, CSS versus JavaScript because our JavaScript is definitely a little more on the fun side. And HTML, CSS is one of those almost skills that it, almost everyone needs to know, at least in the tech industry. So maybe we'll see a skew there.
5: So that brings up an interesting thing. When I was at one of the uh, Code.org events... The CEO of Pluralsight got up and was talking, and he bas- and he said something to the effect of, "We believe that coding is becoming a basic uh, literacy that people must have to, su- you know, in the future, like history, like math, etc." What is your opinion or feeling about a statement like that?
1: You know, it's coding literacy could mean so many things. I think that it does. I guess I have the, kind of this vision where you can use programming to make your life better in a lot of ways. So if you know how to program, then maybe you can write a script to make your grocery shopping more efficient, right? Uh, so if everybody did know how to program, you you can imagine everybody writing these little apps to help their life. I don't know if we'll get to that point because it seems like that you would have to, everyone would have to be a pretty good level of programming to be able to write these scripts to just enhance their everyday life. I think more realistically, actually, if I was going to pick, I think actually people need skills with Google spreadsheets more, maybe more than programming because I think there's a spreadsheets are actually kind of seen as almost a, a precursor to programming or a type of programming, but with a more constrained input and output. And I think that they can be incredibly valuable for people in their everyday lives. So. So for in terms of being part of something that you use every day, but I guess the other stuff is like, okay, what else do we need? What other aspects of coding could help us every day? So understanding the news that comes out around security and that sort of stuff. So there it sounds like cryptography needs to be part of general literacy, right? And I've seen actually a lot of classes experimenting with teaching cryptography or cryptography focused courses. And I know Stanford, their CS1, which is the non-majors one is actually focused around cryptography. And that makes a lot of sense to me given all the stuff around privacy and NSA and all that stuff going out. And that's something where you might read an article on a daily or weekly basis where you actually think about your, your cryptography knowledge, right? So that might even be more useful than coding. But I think the other thing we'll see is that coding has a lot of overlap with other fields. Like, So if you're in any STEM field, you should probably be learning coding because it's going to help you process the data you're interested in, uh, do some research, that sort of thing. There's a lot of ways that it, it could be something that's really useful to a lot of different people.
2: Right. I right. want to perform a smooth and total change of subject. I've snapped my fingers. That was a smooth transition. Um, Do you feel like educating people about programming has changed the way you program?
1: Hmm. Okay. Has educating the way people program changed how I program? It doesn't change how I program, but it means that when I'm programming, I'm thinking to myself like, huh, is this something that I haven't taught yet? Right? Like, so if I'm when I'm refactoring something, I think to myself, like, well, we actually taught refactoring, right? Like, do they even know of this concept of refactoring? Because the thing is that I'm coding. So when I'm coding, like, on our back end and, and yeah. stuff like that, I'm I coding. I guess we more talking inside.
2: about on your, not the code that you're showing to students, but your <laughs> platform code, maybe.
1: Right. So there I'm coding inside a big code base. And when you're inside, coding inside a big code base, you're coding with architecture And you're coding to exist alongside all this other code and you're coding to be more, it's, it's much, it's very collaborative code because it has to, you know, be mixed with all these other people's code. So what I think about more is just, are, have we taught people the skills they need to code inside a big code base? And I think the answer right now is no, no, right? Because currently people are writing their own programs and yeah, they can spin off each other's programs and they can learn from each other's programs, but they're not collaborating together on whole programs or if they are, they're doing it using some mechanism they've made up. So, and I think that's a really valuable skill is like figuring out how do you deal with code that gets big and how do you deal with other people's code and actually work off other people's code and how do you collaborate together? And, and, and that's it, like a really valuable and something that most of us don't even learn during college. And a lot of us don't learn that until we get into the industry, but I think we could learn that earlier. And I think that that is also a way of learning more social skills because I've recently decided that every time we teach programming, we should also teach social skills because I want to live in a world where programming is associated with high social skills, which is not really <laughs> the case now.
4: That is such a good idea. What well, it's, mean? it's funny that you bring I'm that up because, for good. because, uh, the Ruby Rogues episode that we recorded this morning, we were talking about developer happiness. And sure, there were some things in there that were, you know, kind of hard. Technology code related like continuous integration, you know, having tests on things and stuff like that. But the vast majority of the things that both in structure and living social got out of the surveys that they gave to their developers on what made them happy were mostly their dealings with their coworkers and the social things in their workplace. And so given a certain level of technical proficiency and the project going smoothly, your, your major issues are going to be the social issues. And so Mm -hmm. we can't get away with being these antisocial or socially backward people. It just, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work anymore. Nobody just goes off into a room and codes something, at least of any substance, because we have these large systems. And so I think your thinking there is spot on. We have to teach people how to work in a team
1: which is okay. Or maybe we build like pair programming environments because so, there's a lot of different aspects of collaboration. So we do have some of it now because we have a help request system. So you can request help. So people do have a lot of back and forth when they're requesting help. Uh, we've got the peer evaluation system. So people are learning from more advanced users, like getting tips about their code. I'd like to actually have like more of a formal code review system, but we should, also, like, really need to have more, like, group projects, right? Collaborative projects. There's this, I got, there's a great idea from uh, the code union. They actually, they assign a project to their students, and then when their students are, like, halfway through it, they swap the student's code around, and they don't tell them they're going to do it. So they swap the student's code around them, and then make them work on another student's code, and then, you know, swap it back in the end. And so what their students learn from this is, like, they get awareness of the fact that their code might be used by other people and become more like self conscious of their code and think more when they're writing code, like, okay, this isn't just for me. Somebody else might be seeing this. Uh, so that was really cool. This kind of swapperoo. Uh, so I think there's stuff like that that you can do to realize that coding isn't just for you.
3: See, I think I had the opposite problem. I always code thinking that somebody's going to use my code one day. Take forever to build it and no one ever does.
1: <laughs> wow, you can dream.
4: <laughs> it sounds like your problem isn't a technology problem, but then, it's a
1: like, marketing but then problem. you yourself <laughs> will be using it later, right? So five years from now, you might look at it and you'll be happier if you even wrote it for your future self, right?
3: So generally, yeah, it makes it better true. for your
1: future self, too.
3: That's true. That is a completely different person because I know the past self was. <laughs>
5: yep. So I'd like to um, switch a little bit and talk about a subject that's kind of near and dear to my heart, which is the role of education of computer science in kids today. And I know we've talked a little bit about it, but comparison of like what Khan Academy is doing versus basically Khan Academy is this, in essence, a form of non-traditional education and comparison of that with traditional computer science education.
1: Traditional computer science education there's not very much of it. So there is the AP computer science. So there's cs one which is Java and algorithms. But I think only like 30,000 students took that exam last year. So it's that's not at a very big scale, right, if you compare it to the number of students learning math every year. And the CS1 famously is not taken by a very diverse group of people at all. And it's not a very engaging class. So they are working on, you know, better AP classes. So there's two new AP classes that are, you know, involve much more creativity and problem solving and group work and different aspects of computer science. And and they have really great looking curriculum. So there's a lot of high schools that are experimenting with those new CS classes. And that's kind of the most standardized of the computer science education there is a whole group called the CSTA which is a which works on a K to 12 computer science education which is like what would it look like if you actually learned computer science your entire educational career but there are very few schools that can actually afford to fit that inside their curriculum mm-hmm. uh, so i mean right now traditional cs curriculum is just there's so little of it that there's there's much more there are many more people learning it non-traditionally than traditionally which is different than and then like in the math area right so that means that I tend to focus more on the non-traditional uses than the traditional particularly for programming just there's just so few traditional teaching of it but I, and I think the traditional teachers like there's a, this you know some of them are doing some really cool creative things and if you're a computer science teacher and you know how to code, it's very likely that you might want to actually make your own projects and make your own demos because you have that ability. So I focus more on the teachers that don't know how to code yet, but do want to introduce programming to their classroom. And they can, you know, use this resource because there's a lot more of those than there are of the teachers that do know coding.
5: Mm -hmm. So where do you see Khan Academy and its role in traditional versus non-traditional? And I say this, uh, it might be useful to kind of give you some background. My daughter started coding last year and then her high school has a really cool program where they actually, or her district has a cool program. They will bus the kids in the morning or in the afternoon out to a district, a common site from all over, all the high schools all over the district. They get to take web development classes for two and a half hours and they bus them back to school. Mm -hmm. And so she was doing very well. And part of that was Khan Academy. That was actually part of the prep curriculum that was in that program (laughs) to go through Khan Academy. Yeah. Well, that prompted me to start looking at, well, how can I help her move even faster? Because she loved what she was doing. She was enjoying it. And I wrote a blog, a series of blog articles about this that was highly controversial and got on the front page of Hacker News. Oh. Yeah. where I basically talked about the fact that I pulled her out of high school to send her to a web development boot camp full time. And then oh, she'll right. go back to an online high school afterwards. But there's all of these new resources that are available out there for people to learn that aren't in the way that we used to learn in you mm-hmm. know typical schools, going to a class, going to university. And then consider boot camps to be part of that, even though it's a more traditional type environment. Mm-hmm. So where do you see Khan Academy's role and position in all of this sort of stuff?
1: I mean, th- that's a great question. Uh, I would hope that people would use the curriculum if it's teaching what they're looking to teach. I teach workshops in San Francisco, but as soon as I can use Khan Academy curriculum for it, like as soon as as I've ported that workshop to an online format, I use that instead, because then students can go at their own pace. And that is something that's we think is really important to learning is being able to go at your own pace. So, because what we've seen is like, well, if I try and teach something traditionally, right, if I try and teach it in the way where I talk and they, and then they work. And the thing is, I do love talking. I, you know, I'm just like getting at the front and you feel all cool because you're at the front of the room and blah, blah, blah. But when you do it that way, everybody has to go at the same pace and you can get away with that sometimes. But if you're trying to teach like six hours of JavaScript in one day and you're doing it in the traditional way to a room full of people who have different backgrounds, at the end of the day, some people will feel bored because you didn't go fast enough and other people will feel really, really frustrated and sad because they're really behind. So if I use the online curriculum, then they can all go at a pace that's better for them. And then they tend to be much happier in the end. Now, some of them might have to spend another 10 hours outside of the workshop working on it. And that, you know, I just have to email them to, you know, remind them to keep it up. But they're, everybody has just a much better experience because they're not getting bored. They're not getting frustrated. They're going at the pace that's best for them. I really think that the self-paced works really well for anything. Now, the problem is how do you still get a feeling of like the social learning and that sort of thing if everybody has headphones and are staring at their computer? Uh, so we try to alternate like when we do the in-person workshops – We try to alternate between your self-paced learning time and then pairing time. So you might learn at your own pace for two hours and then we're going to put you in a pair and you're going to work on whatever project is at the level that you're at right now. And you'll do that for 45 minutes. And that's a chance to just explore something more and do something, you know, a little more freeform. And then you go back to this more structured learning. And that's kind of the the format that we've come up with. Because then you get to have the best of both worlds. So because what I've seen is like when people do teach themselves, if, if you teach traditional way, it's easy to leave people behind. It's easy to not go at the right pace. It's also easy to mess up, right? Like sometimes I've taught the same things many times. Sometimes I teach it well. Sometimes I teach it shit because I just mess some critical thing up, right? And so if I put it online, then I just have to improve that online thing, and I don't have to worry about messing it up next time I teach it. So I, I think that it's a good thing for those like boot camps and schools to in to use self-paced curriculum that's online, and then figure out how they can add more group and pairing stuff to that curriculum.
4: Awesome. We uh, invited another guest uh, onto the show dave's daughter has been working through is it Khan academy or coursera that she's been working through Khan academy and so uh, we thought it'd be interesting to have her come on and talk about her experience with it uh, especially <laughs> since she's kind of in that demographic that you're talking about with uh, you know kind of the the early teenagers awesome <laughs> all
0: right so we've invited molly hi say hello molly
6: Hello. Would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> Hi. I am Molly Smith and coding is awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: How old are you, Molly?
6: I am twelve and a half. Nice. Oh actually no, it's more than a half. I'll be thirteen in April. Nice. So a little more than a half.
2: Did you know that
0: before you asked, Dave? <laughs> <I did know. laughs> I the so same tell us questions. about your experience with Khan Academy. What have you done with it?
6: Mom got me started on Khan Academy because of the math, because I was doing Saxon, just the Saxon math books, but I didn't enjoy that very much. Saxon is just really boring for me. (laughs) So so I started doing that, and it was fun. And I really like how it's interactive with the person. It's not just like telling them, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, because that's just really boring. Mm
0: -hmm.
6: It's like telling you how to do it, and then there's a ton of videos. The videos are really helpful. So, yeah, and then I was like, I was doing the math, and I don't even remember exactly how, but I found the coding section. I'm like, hey, my dad does this. I should <laughs> turn it up. And so I did, and it, was, it turned out being really
1: fun.
0: How long ago was that that you got started in the programming?
1: I didn't even know. It's been a while.
0: About a year, maybe?
6: Mm, maybe, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Which one, are, what tutorial are you, in? are you on now? Or did you get through all of it?
6: I'm not even close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I was like I know I'm past the array section Okay I'm still in the beginning part because I have a lot of other stuff so sometimes I have to pause and do other stuff so I don't get a ton of it done. but Yeah
5: -hmm. So what about coding do you like Molly?
6: Well there's a lot of reasons I think it's kind of cool how just a bunch of like seemingly random numbers, letters, and words can create something like that.
5: <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs>
6: it's so weird. It's like you can type things into a computer and make a car move. Mm-hmm. Like, like real cars, not just oh, yeah. little cars. But like, it's so cool because you can just, it's like, it's not even technically real. It's just there in cyberspace, but then mm-hmm. it actually affects the physical world. So that was really cool.
5: So we talked before about creativity and the difference between being able to do some programming that was creative and doing some programming that's just to solve a problem because it says, now with programming, make this happen and you just have to type in this one line. Have you found with Khan Academy the opportunity to be creative and actually like gone in and done something that the lesson wasn't necessarily asking you to do?
6: Yeah, I think I have. I did something with my dad where we made a little program and it wasn't a super complicated program. It was a pretty simple one. And we would like, like, I would type in just a little bit and do something. And then I would email a link to my dad and <laughs> would a little bit. And then I would have to find what he changed and then make another change. And we sent it back and forth like six or seven times.
1: That's fun. That's wow. awesome. That's cool.
6: Yeah. He hid things sometimes like when yeah. you press on the, what, what was it with the cloud?
0: You had a little, we had a little treasure chest fixture with a key in it. And you had to open the treasure chest and get the key and then you could click on it. Castle door and the door would open. Yeah. But if you didn't click on the key, the door wouldn't open.
6: Yeah, and then you had that thing where if you clicked on the oh, like it was like there was like a cloud, and then when you clicked on it, there was a little ball that would just go. Whoo! A ball
0: would fly across. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> that yeah, that was fun. It's like iterative Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Do you have any questions for Pamela? I bet you never thought you would get to talk to Pamela.
6: No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't um, have
0: you taken some of the courses from Pamela, like if you've seen her videos and heard her voice on Khan Academy?
6: I'm pretty sure I have, because I Mm -hmm. recognize her voice, but I forgot how to check who did what video, so I don't know which videos.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, you've heard a bunch of me, because it's Jessica and Sophia do the first two tutorials, and then I pretty much do the rest.
6: Yes, I've probably heard a lot of that. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Do you have any questions for Pamela?
1: A
6: couple, like, do you really enjoy doing things like that? coding and like making videos so you can teach other people how
1: yeah I love that I think that is really really fun and I guess the really fun part about Khan Academy is seeing the questions that people ask about things because one of the things is that I've been programming for a really really long time and so I forget what it's like to not be a programmer and I forget the things that I know that I don't realize other people know. So I'll put out one of those videos and then I love seeing the questions that come in. Cause I'll be like, Oh wow. I completely forgot that that's something that people don't know because it's so in my head. So I just, I love learning about what people are learning and trying to understand better what it, what it is like to, to be new to that. That's awesome.
0: Do you guys have any other questions for Molly? Like what it's like to have such a weird dad? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, do you, so you're 12. So do you have to think about your career yet? I don't remember what age they make American students start thinking about career yet. I don't really like to pressure people, but I guess I get curious. Cause when I was a kid, I wanted to be an ice cream man, which has nice. several flaws <laughs> in it, but um, like do you, have, have you started thinking about what you want to do when you're older professionally, that sort of thing?
6: Um, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that I would consider coding as a job because it's really fun. And I would definitely <laughs> do it.
0: Anything else? Um, I, I know some things you'd like to do. <laughs> you don't.
6: I want to be a mom. Oh, you do? Okay. Mm.
1: That's actually pretty compatible with coding because I'm pretty sure the baby bump is like perfectly set for a laptop to go on
5: top <laughs> of <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a funny joke. But I met a, a girl at one of the conferences and she was in just finishing up her CS degree and I was chatting with her and she was saying how she specifically chose it because she wanted to be a mom and wanted to be able to have a career that she could pursue while being a mom.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, and being a mom and being a dad, right? I mean, um, it maybe depends on the company, but at Khan Academy, we were very amenable to people taking their time off when they have their kids and we uh, bringing their kids to, well, there's a lot of kids that show up on our virtual meetings. Like you see little babies um, in the windows and, you know, working remotely when necessary. Um, right. So.
5: But it's also very possible to work part-time, make really good money as a programmer, right? And so mm-hmm. you can still kind of have a, your full-time job as being a parent and then have a part-time job as being a coder.
6: Yeah, my dad said that almost everyone just needs someone who can do something with a computer. Like, at once. Yes. Like, yeah. it's a very, like, look, look on demand or something like that. It's else. very in demand yeah. right now.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think you- in the future we'll have personal programmers. Like, rich people, like, <laughs> don't you think so? Because <laughs> I, like, I could be like a rock star's personal programmer, and every day he wakes up, and or she wakes up, and says, I need an app to help me do this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yes. whole right. new
0: meaning cool. to the phrase personal digital assistant. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, like, if you're going to be a personal assistant, you might as well do something fun.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The, the other option too is, uh, and I always press this agenda a little bit, is freelancing. And, you know, then you can uh, work when you can. And, you know, if you are a mom and you just, you know, you can't put in more than a couple hours a day, then you just find clients that will work with you that way.
0: Molly also really enjoys art and drawing, and one of the things she liked about Khan Academy is how easy it is to get visual. I think mm-hmm. so. Your programming is not just text input, text output. it's like Left. pictures and shapes, and and uh, in fact, some of the very first challenges are arrange these shapes into a picture, like a smiley face, right? If I remember right, I
1: think and yeah, Winston,
0: Winston, Winston. Yeah.
1: Winston. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I love art as well. I took I think I had two art classes a day in high school. But, of course, my, my parents are both computer scientists, and they were very well aware that art does not usually result in great career. Um, my older brother did actually go to three art schools um, over his time, and wow. it has not worked out for him as a career. So, you know, I, I went the computer science route because I realized with computer science, I could combine it with yeah. these other things, like combine it with art. So I actually did a computer graphics minor, well, a 3D animation minor in college, and then a computer graphics emphasis in master's, because that was the combination of art and computer science that I saw, which was fine, but I realized actually that that's a lot of math. Computer graphics, like 3D graphics, is a ton of math, which I'm not as into. Uh, what I realized later is that what I would have actually been really into is human-computer interaction. So I highly recommend that if you are drawn to visual things and decoding, that you look into design and human-computer interaction because that is a really cool overlap of those two areas and something that I wish I'd actually gone and studied. Hey. Absolutely.
5: It's beginning to be so important to have one good interactions and two good visuals. Mm-hmm. I really miss the days when console apps were very acceptable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, but oh, now wow. everybody everybody needs designer. Every, every product needs design and needs experience because it's really hard to come up with a great experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh well, Molly, before we close, do you have any suggestions for Pamela and Khan Academy?
6: I pretty much just enjoy all of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes.
0: Pamela's air pumping.
6: Man. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, maybe just make the videos a little bit longer. I don't even-
1: longer. I don't know. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I try to keep them under five minutes. Like if they're longer than five minutes, I was like, oh, I went so long on that one. <laughs> But I think I could go up to 10 minutes without, according to research, 10 minutes is a point at which people just stop stop paying attention. (laughs) Yep. So I could probably go up to 10 minutes. Okay.
6: Because, yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't quite understand that all the way. You could
0: always watch the video twice and have your own 10 minutes.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Usually if I need help, I can just ask my dad because he knows about all that stuff.
1: Yeah, no, one of the things I want to do is have, like, a community wiki under every video because uh, what I've noticed is under a lot of the videos, there's, like, a top five common questions, and I would love to just have there be a community wiki that answers those questions that you could just consult afterwards. Yeah. awesome yeah, It's All like right.
4: having your own personal Pamela in your pocket, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks for coming in, Molly.
1: You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Tell
5: your dad that you don't want to do
0: chores. He <laughs> already tells me that every day. <laughs> Actually, Molly's very good at doing chores.
5: Maybe you should assign her some programming chores.
1: Yeah, yep. she can be your personal assistant programmer.
0: Yeah, there you go. So outsource some of my work.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't understand everything. No. Actually, no, I can't understand barely anything.
6: <laughs>
5: you want to be careful, Dave. If the quality of your work goes up a whole bunch, you're going to have some problems. (laughs) She'll set too high of a bar for me. Exactly. All
0: right. Well, thanks, Molly.
4: All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, head into the picks. Joe, do you want to start us off with picks?
5: Sure, you bet. So my first pick is going to be boot camps in general and non-traditional learning. As I mentioned before, I've got some experience lately with those, and I just think there's just such an awesome way to learn to program. And I know there's tons of value with going and getting a computer science degree. Absolutely is. But I just love the fact that we've, as an industry, solved the problem that we need more programmers, and in three months people can learn to program very effectively. So I'm going to pick boot camps. I also want to pick a little bit self-serving, but I mentioned this the blog post I wrote about my daughter leaving, pulling her out of high school and sending her to boot camp to learn development. And uh, I just thought it was... It's been interesting writing it, and I plan to write a lot more installments in the series. And also, it got a whole bunch of really interesting feedback on Hacker News.
4: You always get interesting feedback on Hacker News.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's funny is, like, this is, like, the first time I've ever, like, been on the first page of Hacker News. So... It was actually kind of cool for me, even though being controversial, the only people that really care to comment are those that are outraged because oh, of I'm ru- ruining my daughter's life or something. But it was still a lot of interesting and, you know, a lot of passion from people that have their opinions on both sides of the fence as to whether or not kids should be pulled, you know, should be allowed to say, I am I want to do more than just uh, what the traditional learning path is at, at 16 so I'll put the links to that. It's on my personal blog. I'll put the links to that in the show notes, and then my last pick is going to be something very related to the episode. And that is at NGConf. We're going to be doing a kids track for 50 kids that can come in the entire length of the conference. We're having a. It's a national company named Zaniac. They have a local branch here in Utah. And they do an after-school program for kids to, in computer science and robotics and teach them how to do Minecraft mods and all kinds of stuff. So for two days, the kids are going to be able to come to NGConf and have their own class where they're learning how to program for all day long every day for two days. Do you like to take them out good, of school? Yeah, of course. The you know This is during March, so it would be Thursday and Friday, so kids would have to be taken out of school. It's for, it's for the attendees, kids to show up, go with their parents to a conference, but get to do their own thing but not just be babysat, you know? So I'm really excited to be part of that. Cool.
4: What age range are you looking
5: at? They can handle K through eighth grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. So quite the range. Hmm.
1: Are they going to learn Angular?
5: They're not going to learn Angular. We (laughs) We wish that we could make that happen, but that's not really feasible based on existing curriculum. Mm. So, yeah, it'll be
0: taught.
1: React instead, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah. no, we we uh, taught Angular last weekend for Girl Develop It. In the back of my yeah. head, I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if I'll ever teach this on Khan Academy. Could happen. Huh. Yeah.
5: So, that's it. That's my, those are my picks.
4: Very nice. Jameson, what are your picks? I have two picks. The
2: first one is a blog post called Slow Bugs. For some reason, I just really like those blog posts about like debugging war stories. I feel like debugging is a skill I I wish I was better at, and I hope that I can improve by reading other people's techniques. And this one talks about bugs that occur very irregularly, that it kind of takes a long time for them to appear, and how you can use some stats to determine, okay, if it shows up every eight hours, and I think I fixed it, and I haven't seen it in 16 hours, like how sure am I that I actually fixed it? just a a cool approach to applying statistics to a specific kind of bug. And my second pick, one of my favorite bands ever, is called Purity Ring, and they have a new album coming out soon, and they just released the first song from the album. So that's
4: my pick. Awesome. Dave, what are your picks?
0: Hey, I have two picks for you today. One is a handy little command line utility called PGCLI. That's a Postgres command line interface, and it's this nifty little... Command line interface that's kind of like PSQL, but it has syntax coloring and autocomplete and all kinds of cool stuff. So it's kind of a cool little thing. Um, it's written in Python. So if you've already got Python installed, you just pip install it and, uh, you're off to the races. It's pretty nifty. The other one is, uh, a gift I received from my mother-in-law for Christmas. She knows that I like computers. And so she sent me a Reader's Digest copyright 2000, how to do just about anything on a computer book with gems like how to use a mouse and using the internet. It has just been (laughs) life-changing. That's awesome. That sounds awesome. It even comes with a CD-ROM that I think, I don't actually know what to do with it, but um, I'm sure if I read the book, it'll teach me. So this has been life-changing. Nice coffee table-sized book, how to do just about anything on a computer. You should put it on your coffee table.
1: Yeah,
5: totally should.
4: All right, AJ. Do you have some picks for us?
0: First off,
3: the last week I spent writing a blog platform because, one, there obviously aren't enough of them. And two, there seriously aren't enough of them that run in the browser. (laughs) So I created the best blog platform that there ever is and ever will be that's just JavaScript and hardly needs a server at all except just for touching files to make them exist. And so I'd invite anyone to... Try that out and see what you think. I've called it Desiree, and the website is deer.desi. And that will be up by the time we actually have the show live, because I almost done with it. And another pick that isn't so self-serving is The Stanley Parable. It's a game that a friend of mine was playing, and I have to read the description of it, because if you know anything about the game... You you have to go into the game not knowing what it's about, so the description you need to know is, the Stanley Parable is an exploration of story, games, and choice. Except the story doesn't matter, it might not even be a game, and if you <laughs> ever actually have a choice, well, let me know what you did.
4: Okay.
3: Is that a knowing laugh that
0: I'm hearing? I've in the heard
3: theater? it's awesome. It's a game that you should play with someone behind your shoulder. Like, this is not like I'm going to go into my dark room and play it by myself. This is like one of those games where two people that have no idea what's going on stare at the screen and laugh about it. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last thing that I'll pick is the Web Crypto API. Because finally we can do SHA-1 sums in the browser. (laughs) Just not on UTF-8 data. Actually, that should... Mozilla has got some code I haven't tried yet, but um you can do SHA-1 sums on binary data and you can do it on ASCII strings, but if you try to do it on UTF-8 slash Unicode it goes all to crap because JavaScript still doesn't have a native way in the browser to convert between UTF-8 and binary, but um it's kind of cool. Unfortunately, they didn't do MD5 sum on purpose so you still can't create gravatars in the browser without some big huge library, but
4: eh. Alright, I've got uh, pick here, and it is called A Dark Room, and it is, uh, they have an HTML5 version of the game, and then they also have the iPhone version of the game, and it's kind of a text adventure game. The interface is pretty simplistic, not pretty, but it's been kind of fun and uh, somewhat addictive. So I'm going to pick that game. Pamela, do you have some picks?
1: Yes let's do some picks. So we have some self-serving ones, right? Uh, So (laughs) the first one will be let it code. I'm sure some of you are familiar with the song, let it go. (laughs) If you're a parent, I'm sure you love it. So uh, one of the things we like to do on Khan Academy is have little coding contests and collaborations. Uh, So somebody, a student on Khan Academy wrote, let it code, which is parody lyrics to let it go. And then Everybody picked different lines and wrote a program animating those lines and telling the story in those lines oh and then I convinced my colleagues to sing this this let it code. I dragged them into Sal's office and recorded it and they had to learn it on the spot and then I spent I spent a weekend uh, montaging it all together so we now have a music video for Let it code which has all the like all these animations from different students for different parts of it. And I think it's awesome. And I think everybody should make collaborative coded music videos. And so that'll be one pick. And then just as a a book recommendation, everybody on our team just read the book called Mindstorms, Children, Computers, and Powerful Ideas. It was written in 1993. So it's old, but still really relevant. It's about the people that created logo or turtle graphics. You might know it as and it's a lot about learning theory and what does learning mean in the digital age and is learning getting worse or better and how can learning be enhanced by the digital age. And definitely recommend it if you have kids and thinking about them and, and coding. And so that's a really great book and we all just spent last week reading it. So those are my picks.
4: Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming. It was a lot of fun to talk about and there's a lot here for me to think about and unpack. So. <laughs> Yeah, this has been fascinating. Totally.
1: Awesome. Thank pe- you for if, inviting me.
4: If people want to find out more about you or Khan Academy, how do they do that?
1: You can Google me. I'm highly Googleable. If you search for Pamela Fox, you will find my website, and there's a contact link on the front page, and it's links to everything, and my website is covered in glitter. Thank you to a recent pull request. <laughs> so I think you'll enjoy it.
4: Very cool.
0: Glitter. <laughs>
1: yeah. wow. Well, because my website was bright neon green to the point where I actually got an issue filed that it was too green and it was hurting people's heads, <laughs> so I was like, all right, fine, the first pull request that changes the background that changes to glitter will win and uh so but
4: you regret that now
1: <laughs> no I way bet, I
4: bet not, this
0: is beautiful.
1: <laughs> did you just see um the website send glitter to your enemy enemies dot com
0: I did see that.
1: I don't understand that because I would love if somebody sent me glitter. I could add it to my glitter station at home.
2: You should make a competing site. Send glitter to your friends.
1: That's true. I'm going to make so much money. (laughs) And that's why coding is great.
0: All right. We send glitter to the people you hate.
1: (laughs) What the heck? Yeah. Internet's weird. All
0: right. Is that a wrap? Uh,
4: I think so. Have you noticed that a lot of developers always land the job they interview for? Are you worried that someone else just landed your dream job? John Sonmez can show you how to do this with the course How to Market Yourself as a Software Developer. Go to devcareerboost.com and sign up using the code JJABBER to get $100 off. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory.